vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. So that means today we are talking about Real Me, which aired on my birthday 20 years ago. <laughs> um, so October 3rd, my birthday. So you are actually getting this episode probably late in the day on October 2nd. I'm having another situation pretty much exactly like last week, just because I'm a process queen. I'm going to tell you this shit before we start. Um, I'm recording a day early and that might become the habit. I haven't heard from any of you guys on whether or not you like that idea or not. Um, so I'm assuming that means you don't care either way. So I might start recording on Fridays just in general, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm also just full disclosure. I'm running on the same amount of research that I did last week, which is not the amount that I like to typically go on. Um, I usually like to watch the episode at least twice, once taking notes and once not taking notes. But just like last week, I am in a situation where I don't have the time to be that thorough. Um, that's not going to be the norm. I'm going to, whether or not I record on Fridays or Saturdays going forward, I am going to, um, go back to the same amount of research that I used to do. But because my birthday is tomorrow, um, and I'm about to go on vacation, like there's just a bunch of stuff going on. Like we're actually, me and my Michael are actually going out of town for a couple of days next week. We're going on like a little day trip tomorrow for my birthday. So it's just like, I don't, and I had to go to the periodontist, which is an implant and gum specialist today. Um, I won't tell you that whole story. If you want to hear all the personal behind the scenes crap of that, you can either listen to Mixtress Radio that airs every Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Central Daylight Time. Or you can become a patron at my Patreon, wherein I have podcast episodes of my, um, I keep like about three to five months worth of the podcast episodes of the talking segments from Mixtress Radio. Um, so you can, you can have access to those podcast episodes. If you want to hear me talk about personal shit, I try to keep that out of this podcast as much as possible. Sorry, I have my window open. I probably shouldn't do that. Okay. Yes, I will be respectful of your experience of this sound. <laughs> Close the window in my little room. Um, so anyway, the short story of that, because I don't like to be cryptic, is just that both of my front teeth are fake, they're implants, and recently I started having an issue with my gums around one of those implants. So I had to go to a periodontist today, which is, like I said, gum and implant specialist. And basically it was good news. Basically she just said, I, this is common for old implants because it's on the back of the implant, the original implant that I got from the first front tooth, my left front tooth that I got like over 10 years ago. Basically she just said, this is common. This is not enough for me to feel like there needs to be anything done about it right now. Just keep an eye on it. So basically like every time I go to the dentist, the things that you normally do at the dentist, like get an x-ray once a year and get your gums checked every time, every six months, essentially like that will be enough to keep an eye on it. So I'm good. 
<laughs> it's all good. It was very good news, and I'm very happy because I was nervous that, like, it was going to be bad news the day before my birthday at the beginning of a two-week vacation, you know? Like, I was like, oh, God, what if I'm depressed for my vacation? Because <laughs> I tend to be really dramatic <laughs> about that kind of stuff. Ugh, my internet is down right now. On the day that I need to, like, upload podcasts, have a radio show, like, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, you guys don't care. So, just to let you guys know, because I'm a process queen, that is the level of, like, I feel like I'm not going to be super thorough about this episode. However, I feel like it's okay to kind of ease back into the season. Like, this isn't one of the most important episodes of Buffy. Um, it's not that bad, though. Like, I remember this as being just, like... So it's Real Me. It's... Let's read the description in the Nikki Stafford's episode guide. When Xander is... Nope. That's... Nope. <laughs> that's next episode. I skipped forward. Okay. Buffy's little sister, who is really starting to become annoying, gets captured by Harmony and her minions, and Buffy must try to rescue her. So Real Me is about... It's drawing a parallel between Harmony's character and Dawn. So, you know, if you're watching this for the first time, if you're watching Buffy for the first time, this may not be the podcast for you to listen to. I hate to turn people away, but I am not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. So... That said, let's move on. Um, so the very first time we ever saw Dawn was at the very end of the first episode of season five. So last week. Um, and so we're like, who the fuck is this chick? You know? <laughs> and I really like how they're doing this though. They really just jump right in making you feel like you're the one that's crazy watching this because she just acts like she's always been there and she has this they do like this one shot in the kitchen where like dawn is being an annoying little sister stealing buffy's cereal and it's just the sort of like kitchen ballet morning kitchen ballet that you have with people that you live with you know that's sort of like you're not really verbal yet so you're just like trying to get the milk out and pour the cereal and like you know it really showed that you know we're supposed to think of dawn we're supposed to be like what the fuck like she's had a little sister this whole time what what is happening what is this show doing to us this episode is really effective at that. So I think it's not a bad episode, but like I said last week, I, what really bugs me is the way that they're characterizing Dawn right here from the beginning. I am okay with the fact that Buffy's being really petty about her little sister because we've seen this in the past. She acted like this when she had Kathy as a roommate. Um, we've seen how she does she's very selfish she is an only child she's always been an only child and it makes sense that she has just been inserted into this universe even though buffy has no memory of her just being inserted into this universe but because she has just been inserted into this universe it's like her body is her body and her brain are sort of reacting as if she's new like this annoyance at her little sister is kind of over the top 
And it's possible that they weren't really meaning for it to have a deeper meaning. But in my mind, the fact that she's having an over-the-top reaction to her little sister is because she just showed up, actually. So it's like her her body is adjusting. Um, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if that makes sense. Let me know if that makes sense to you guys. But this is actually, oh God. Okay, so the episode opens with Buffy is like, um, doing like this crystal meditation handstand on a block thing. Um, she's training with Giles. So at the very end of the last episode, it was the conversation where Buffy came to Giles and was like, I need you to be my watcher again. I need to like find the essence of my slayerness. I need to do research. I need to be a Ravenclaw for the first time ever. Like I want, I want you back as my watcher and I need your help. It was super cute, super sweet. And so this is the beginning of that training. He is training her. And it's really awesome, peaceful, Giles ASMR. He's like saying a bunch of meditative shit. There's like the soothing um, meditation music in the background while she's balancing upside down. Again, just a comment on the new stunt double for Buffy, assuming this is her doing this like handstand thing it really looks like I mean she just looks a lot more like Buffy than her last stunt double did which I feel like gives them an opportunity to linger more on the athleticism of Buffy as a character because they don't have to constantly block the face and try to do things really fast, like with the last stunt double. Even though she's a good stunt double, like, I think her name's Sophia Crawford, the original one. She's she's not bad. She just was kind of butch-looking compared to skinny little Sarah Michelle Gellar. Whereas this person, even though she's super athletic because she's a stunt double, she still kind of, like, looks like Buffy. Like, the body type is so similar that, like... It doesn't take you out of it. Watching the athleticism of a stunt double doesn't take you out of it. Like, you don't necessarily think to yourself, oh, that's the stunt double right here. You don't think that, whereas you thought that all the time with the with the last one. And the fighting style, apparently, like, in the commentary of this episode, which I didn't watch, but it was referred to in the TPN YouTube Buffy guide that I watched just now, he was referring to... In the commentary, they, the writers and or whoever was on the commentary, I don't even know. Um, David Greenwalt, David Fury wrote this episode. David Grossman directed it. There's so many Davids associated with the Buffyverse creation behind the scenes. Um, anyway, um, they mentioned that they made. I heard there was some kind of drama, and the stunt double. And the um, stunt choreographer, who were like a husband and wife team for the first four seasons, I heard they quit and there was some kind of drama. However, during that commentary, they mentioned that they made a conscious choice from season five forward that Buffy, because she was doing research into the origins of her slayerness, they wanted to change the fighting style to be more like more like scrappy boxing than martial arts style like it used to be. So it's possible that they wanted to take it in that direction and the stunt double and choreographer team did not feel comfortable with doing that type of fighting 
and that's where the drama started. I don't know. But it's just interesting to me that, like, I've never, when I was watching Buffy, did I notice the fighting style change until this time rewatching it. Um, and I don't even know, I mean, my mom is the one that said it out loud when we were watching the first episode last week. I think I was kind of thinking to myself that I was enjoying the fighting more, but I didn't go further than that. She was the one that was like, huh, I wonder if it's a different stunt double. <laughs> and like, then, you know, I looked into it and all that shit. Anyway, I don't want to harp on that too much. It's just interesting. Like this very first scene, it's like, you're not taken out of it at all. Seeing this person balance on her hands, it looks like Buffy, even though it's not. Um, let's see. I took very, okay. <laughs> okay. What I did today, I was like realizing that I hadn't like really done any exercise at all whatsoever today. All I did was get up, go to the periodontist and come home, eat lunch and start doing like radio show and podcast prep kind of shit. And I just like realized I needed to do something. So I got on the treadmill for like 15 minutes while watching the YouTube TPN Buffy guide for this episode. <laughs> And so I was writing my notes for this podcast while I was walking on the treadmill and they look like a serial killer wrote them. Uh, riding on a treadmill, not the best, <laughs> but I just, I was like, maybe I'll just go for a walk. No, I can't waste that time going for a walk. Okay. I can watch the video and go for a walk at the same time if I use the treadmill. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm so like, I'm not a person that gets a lot of shit done in a day and I need to today. So I'm kind of like all over the place. Anyway. Um, so my notes are very choppy and ridiculous looking. Um, so there's a lot of, despite the fact that this episode, like on its surface seems kind of silly, you know, it's very like Harriet the spy, you know, throughout the whole episode. Um, Dawn is just writing in her diary about how her sister doesn't understand her and no one knows the real her, but there's a lot of really well-placed foreshadowing in this episode. So you have that little moment at the magic shop when the, um, sort of mentally unstable guy kind of confronts Dawn when she's by herself outside because Buffy has sent her out because there's a dead body, the shop owner of the magic shop. And he says to her, you don't belong here. And he makes a reference to Curds and Way, which of course goes back to the foreshadowing dream episode in season three, wherein Faith says to Buffy, you know, counting down from 730, Little Miss Muppet, whatever, whatever. Um, so we've been getting like little sprinkles of Dawn foreshadowing for seasons now. They knew that this little sister was going to show up, which I think is so cool that they would think that far ahead. Um, I don't think Buffy as a show, it's writers, directors, creators, all of those. I don't think they do that with everything. I think they're kind of, it's kind of funny. I think like major story arcs, they know years ahead of time, but all the little stuff is just kind of like they're flying by the seat of their pants. I think that's a way that the show works because it has that feeling of like going with the flow to a certain extent, but there's also a lot of forethought put into it. So it kind of works in both ways. You know, I feel like you really could watch Buffy episodically. You could just dip in and out since most episodes have a story arc 
within themselves, but then there's also those bigger themes that are, there's also that continuity that they refer to on a pretty regular basis, but it's small enough that if you don't know what they're talking about, you can disregard it. I think that's important for a TV show. I think a lot of times TV shows these days don't do that because they assume that people are just binge watching everything, that people are never just going to dip in at any random time, which is probably true. They can assume that. And I like how, how complex television has gotten. However, I think it's still not a bad plan to have a show in the way that Buffy is, which was at the beginning of that sort of era of having continuity or overall season arcs. That kind of thing wasn't something that always happened back when Buffy first came out. Um, I don't know, just weird little aside that I didn't know it was going to go on. Um, so love that this is, this is the introduction to the magic shop. This is the first time that we see the set that will be in all of the last three seasons of Buffy. So it's nice to see it. Um, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love the magic shop set. I love the fact that we are finally seeing, we're kind of seeing like remnants of, I don't think we really saw any of this in Xander's character this episode, but it's almost like every character is sort of directly confronting the things that they dealt with in their nightmare in Restless, in their dream slash nightmare of Restless. Like, Giles felt out of place all last year. I mean, sort of Buffy pulled him out of that to a certain extent because she told him she wanted him to be her watcher again. So he's got that going for him now. So that sort of brought him out of his depression. He also has bought a new car, even though it's an automatic. And I love that sort of because I drive, uh, I drive a manual transmission. I learned on a manual transmission. So I've always not always, because I got gifted a car for graduation. I was lucky enough to get gifted a car for graduation, um, and it was an automatic. But every car I've bought for myself, I bought a manual, <laughs> um, because I have always had the same sentiment that Giles expresses when he's driving his car, where he says something like, I loathe this not contributing because <laughs> he's referring to like, he keeps trying to shift and he's in an automatic now. And so he keeps accidentally putting the car in neutral and Buffy's like commenting on it. And that's how I've always felt about automatic cars. They always felt weird to me because I learned on a manual and it's like, all I do is switch it to drive and then go. What? I just never liked that. I think the extra work that it takes to shift gears for me personally keeps me like more aware of what's happening in the car keeps me active like I don't know <laughs> driving an automatic is just not for me um and I just loved Giles's little I love this not contributing <laughs> I was like I want to work for it if I'm driving <laughs> But that's just because I learned on a manual. It probably seems weird to most people to even think about driving a manual. Because it's like a weird little ballet. Like, you have to do it just right, depending on the car. Because every clutch is kind of different. Like, some clutches you have to, like, you have to, like, slam your foot all the way down and all the way back up real quick. That was the one I learned on. But then others, you gotta ease into it. 
who knew I'd ever fucking talk about cars on this show. This um this episode also gives you a little bit of you get a um they're they're starting early with like planting the seeds of Buffy being she's been emotionally unav- unavailable to Riley. Um oh I forgot to say like okay so Buffy is actively like I got distracted by a text. I'm trying to like somebody's asking me about a tattoo artist that I go to and I'm trying to like pass on the information and trying to quit Instagram which means I have it's harder to get contact information when you're not on Instagram. Anyway, so Buffy's actively trying to like find out more about her slayerness like as a result of the restless dream. Giles is actively like like him like pursuing like he's immediately starts thinking about buying the magic shop, which is really cool to see that moment. See him like, "Ooh, profit margins. Hmm, maybe I should do this." I like that because last episode he was he was thinking about leaving, and now that Buffy's given him a purpose, he's starting to put together the other aspects of his life after, you know, having a depression for a solid year you know he really was just sort of listless the whole first year that Buffy was out of high school which makes sense it's such a like it's grounded and it's a character development that's grounded in reality and it's so nice to see Giles starting to feel better and starting to do things for himself again and like He's just the person that can break the curse of the magic shop owners just pe- perpetually getting killed in the show. <laughs> um, and then, um, who else? So that's um, Buffy and Giles. And then Willow, you get like this little conversation where Willow has started taking drama class. So like, that's her big fear that we've seen in like the Nightmares episode and Restless that she has a fear of drama class and she's deciding to face that fear by taking drama this semester. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, I'm trying to think, like, did we get anything with Xander? Like, what was his big thing? Nothing. I don't even, whatever. Who cares? Who cares about Xander? (laughs) Um, Dawn does. Okay, so this is an interesting segue. I didn't You know, this is, I'm doing things all out of order, but that's just how it's going to be today. Um, So when Xander babysits Dawn, which first of all, she, just like she says in the episode, like she's 14, she doesn't fucking need a babysitter. She's old enough to be a babysitter, which is completely true. That's infuriating. Like I was, I don't know how old I was when I started getting left home alone, but I mean, I was a little bit extra mature kind of precocious like kid that didn't really ever do anything wrong until I was like 15 so I totally could be trusted to be by myself but I mean most 14 year old kids don't act as immature as Dawn am I right I mean I don't know a lot about child development but tell me I'm right on this guys like it's just crazy but so it was just kind of creepy like knowing the spoiler for the comic books But Buffy, or Buffy, Dawn and Xander end up together in the comics. Like, they have a relationship. And it doesn't seem creepy to me the way that it plays out, you know? It seems, you know, in the grand scheme of things, thinking of this as an actual world, like, he is... I mean, I guess he's five years older than her. So at this time, him being, like, He's probably like 19 at this point. 
and Dawn has a crush on him and it's established that she's 14. And of course she's a mystical ball of energy. So she's actually like eternal, but you know, in the context of her being a human girl, which she is also that not only is she a mystical ball of energy, but she's also simultaneously a 14 year old girl. So like, I think it's totally understandable that she would have a crush on Xander, but it's just kind of creepy to know that they do end up together. Like they don't end up together until Dawn's character is in her early twenties. So he would be like, at that point, he'd be like 26, 27, whereas she's 20, 21, somewhere around there. I think like by the time they get together, it's several years after the end of the series, the TV series. So like, it's not that creepy that they ended up together. Although when you, I don't know, maybe it is like, if you are a, I mean, in Xander's memory, you know, he's been a part of Dawn's life for the last five years since she was eight or nine years old, you know? So that's pretty creepy if you end up dating a person that you have known since they were eight or nine when you were a teenager. Like you've already hit puberty by the time you meet the person that you end up with later. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too hard about that. I have like a real issue with age differences, especially when it comes to older men dating younger women. I know it's very common. I know like feelings are feelings or whatever, but it's just like it, the power differential there is just a deal breaker to me. And it's, it skeeves me out. And even though I wasn't really skeeved out by Xander and Anya ending up, Xander and Anya, Xander and Dawn ending up together in the comment, comments, God damn it. Even though I wasn't initially skeeved out by Dawn and Xander ending up together in the comics, because they were a little older when that happened, it still feels weird to me, especially right now, because she has a huge crush on him and he knows she has a huge crush on him. So that just makes the whole thing even creepier. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. Love Tara and Dawn's relationship. So cute. Um, yeah, so cute. Um, I think it's weird that Don didn't tell anyone about the, um, the guy that told her she didn't belong here. Cause he was being like really creepy. That would have been a traumatizing experience as a child. I mean, I guess she's 14, but she's acting like she's 11 or whatever. So, you know, that whole thing with like the chocolate ice cream all over her face. She's 14. Like, do you realize how mature 14 year old girls are? This is not that. Who is writing this character? A bunch of dudes that don't have any idea how to write a 14 year old girl. That's what's happening. Um, okay. What else do I have here? I enjoy throughout the episode. So there are parallels that are being made between Dawn and Harmony a little bit and between Dawn and Tara, because this episode is pretty much from Dawn's point of view for the most part. Um, not literally, but just like she's the main character of this episode. So I really like the sort of foreshadowing that they're doing with Tara. So you see this scene with, um, Tara and Willow are moving into a dorm room together. They're getting ready to start 
school again, I guess. Um, they haven't started yet, which doesn't make sense as this show usually goes in real time. So it would be October 3rd. What school starts as late as October 3rd? Like the latest is, I, I would buy the beginning of September, but seriously. Anyway, so they're talking about, so they're moving into the dorm room and um, they're just having a conversation and Tara's just sympathizing with Dawn because she's like, it's hard to be the outsider because Tara feels like an outsider in this group, which makes sense. And that's the entire bonding moment that you see between the two of them at the magic shop, that, which was earlier in the day to this scene. And, you know, she's just sort of saying, you know, it's hard to be the outsider. Like, I, I'm always going to feel like I'm outside your group. And I don't know if I necessarily even want to penetrate the group. Like, she's being very mature. Like, Tara is, oh, Tara is the best. Um, but there's this moment where, like, Willow hugs her and tells her she's totally a part of the group. And then she says, you're one of the good guys. And Tara has, like, this weird, like, she sort of shrugs Willow off of her. Like, she doesn't believe she's one of the good guys. So that's a really good foreshadowing to, like, what we will come to know is because Tara grew up in a family that told her that she would, when she reaches a certain age, she will become a witch. She will have to go home to her family sort of like she's on her rumspringa right now but she's gonna have to come back like because she will because the de she's been told that not witch she's been told that the women in her family are demons and so she has this sort of like psyche thing that's been instilled within her that she's not a good person so that's why she's having that reaction but it's interesting that they're doing this because at some point we're like when we find out what the key is that the key has been this mystical ball of energy has been put into a person that is new to their lives the first person they think of is Tara because she's kind of the newest member of the group and so this is just a cool little double thing where like it it shows you that the writers already know what they're doing with Tara's character enough to have this little moment in there and it can have the meaning that we know it to actually have, but it can instill questions in you later when you know about the key. You know, it's just, it's just a good little moment. Um, this is, this episode has intelligent writing in it. It's a good episode. Um, <laughs> I like the moment when they're like, trying to figure out they're at the magic shop they're trying to figure out who who killed the magic shop owner and like what stuff was taken and that kind of stuff they're trying to figure it out and for some reason willow looking at an inventory handwritten notebook which very unbelievable that she would know from looking at a handwritten inventory notebook exactly i mean i guess it was like what is in this display case shelf one this shelf two, this but who would be that meticulous they would have a list of inventory but not where it is in the store right so i just found that a little unbelievable but whatever um willow's like okay so what's been taken from this case something is obviously used to be right here oh it's a unicorn statue <laughs> valued at 12.95 so this is the quote of the episode Giles says, what kind of an unholy creature fancies cheap, tasteless statuary? <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Love it. 
so much. Okay. My notes are so ridiculous because I wrote them on the treadmill. Okay. Dawn and Xander. Yes, I already, I already did that. Tara and Willow moving in. Ominous Tara. Yes. Uh, I love the little note that Harmony writes. Like she wraps it around like a rock and throws it in Buffy's window or some, something like that. And it just says, Slayer, come out and die. And it's this really pretty girly handwriting. And there's like a happy face over like an eye or something. And it's just the cutest thing ever. It's the cutest little death threat note I've ever seen in my life. Um, let's talk about Harmony for a second. So the parallels between Harmony and Dawn are at the forefront of this episode because Harmony is coming back. She's, she's been gone for a while and she says, you know, no one knows the real me, just like Dawn is saying that in her diary, which is the name of the episode, take a shot, whatever, whatever. So the thing with, um, Harmony is she's coming back and she's kind of reinventing her life. You know, she's independent now. She has, left Spike. She is trying to like have minions or something, but she's a rare vampire that like, she doesn't seem to like have zero conscience. Like she seems to be like the exact same person as she was before she was a vampire. In fact, she doesn't even have vamp face at all in this episode. I don't think it's possible. She does at one point. I don't know. Um, I'm not remembering it specifically, but, oh, there's like a cat fight happening outside. What's happening? There's a stray that's like been in my neighborhood for as long as I can remember. We nicknamed Tortilla and we feed her sometimes and she tends to get in some pretty scrappy fights with some of the neighborhood cats. So I'm assuming she was involved in whatever that was, but I couldn't see what was happening. Anyway so distractible today. <laughs> um, so she's like, you know, trying to get minions. She's trying to like, you know, one of Harmony's minions is Tom Link, who later plays Andrew in the series. So he gets staked in this episode. So it's clear that like, and he's in vamp face the entire time. So I think that's why they, I'm glad they did because I would not sacrifice Andrew for anything. I'm glad that they didn't have some sort of weird policy of like, well, people are going to recognize him as that vampire from that one episode. So we can't hire him. So glad that that was not the case because Andrew is one of my favorite characters ever. I can't wait till next season when we get to talk about him. Um, so that's just a little note. Andrew is there. Um, I like the, probably one of my favorite scenes in this episode is when Harmony has Dawn tied up at her lair or whatever. And she's like just talking to her about how no one really knows the real her. No one really respects her. Blah, 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 blah. She's just trying to relate to Dawn because like mentally she, she can relate to Dawn the most out of everyone in her little minion group, which, Hey, shout out to, I might be wrong, but I think like one of her minion demons, one of Harmony's minion demons, I think was, was a woman that she seemed to 
possibly, I mean, this is me, like, she might have just been queer-coded as, like, a lesbian. Like, there wasn't anything said in, to that sense, but she she kind of came off as a very masculine woman, which was cool to see, just, just to see, I guess that's all it is, is just a note that I think it was a very masculine presenting woman. So it could have been a trans man, it could have been um, a lesbian, could have just been that they happened to feel okay with casting a very masculine woman, which was not something that would have typically been done. If they were going to cast a woman, she would have needed to be obviously very girly of a woman in the year 2000. So, um, and it's possible even it was just a kind of feminine man they were all in vamp face. All the minions were in vamp face the entire time because, you know, it's cheaper to do that for, you know, smaller characters. But so I might have been misreading that character, but just an interesting note that either they were totally fine with casting a masculine woman or even just a more feminine man, which was nice. Um, there was just some gender confusion with that particular character, and I like that they were okay with having that there. Because why do we need to know what gender a person is at all times? We do not. That is just a thing in our society that we need to let go of. Okay. So, what else we got here? So, I haven't really been, like, talking about the plot of this episode. It's basically just... Harmony comes to town. She decides she wants to kill the Slayer. She, Dawn accidentally invites her into the house. Um, Buffy gets really pissed off. She's being really petty. I don't really like petty older sister Buffy. I don't really like how, like, this is the turning point in Buffy's character where she just becomes so self-righteous, so luxury, so, like, it's like the shift in her character to become big sister protector makes her a little too mature for her age, which is an understandable character development for Buffy, but I just don't like it. I, I don't like lecture Buffy. She, she really bothers me. She's just too self-righteous. Um, I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is a really great actress for the most part, but the things that she does well, she does really well. And the things that she doesn't do well, just aren't that great. And like petty lecture Buffy is just not my favorite. And then every time Sarah Michelle Gellar needs to have like a hysterical laughing scene, it doesn't ever seem believable to me. <laughs> like, so she has one of those in this episode where she's just like laughing hysterically about aunt or about harmony. Um, this is the origin. This episode is the origin of Anya's love of money because she's playing the game of life with Xander and Dawn when they're babysitting Dawn. And um, at one point she's like, I have all these tiny pink children that I can't possibly manage. And then I have all this money that I can't possibly spend or something like that. And Xander says to her, that means you're winning. And she's like, Ooh, I like that. And she just does this little dance. And that's like the moment that like they decide, I guess, that Anya's character is going to be like obsessed with money and capitalism from now on. That that this is the moment. <laughs> so I think it's, I think this episode is doing like a little bit of damage control. I feel like they, they possibly had a lot of the scenes 
and or episodes written for the first few of the season before they had cast Michelle Trachtenberg as Dawn. So I think they this episode is already starting to do a little bit of damage control. I feel like they probably had to rewrite little parts of this episode, but they didn't have time to completely rewrite it. So that is part of the reason. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here of that being part of the reason that Dawn is acting like a 10 or 11 year old, whatever she's 14. And there are even some comments in the episode itself, like Buffy saying to people like, well, and everybody's just like, she's just a kid. She's just a kid. And Buffy's like, well, I was just a kid when I had to slay my first vampire. You know, like when we met Buffy, she was 15. She was barely older than Dawn's character is here. So I'm curious to know, actually, oh, my internet's down. Fuck. So I can't look it up. Um, <laughs> I gotta like go reset the router and see what the fuck's going on, but I'm not going to do that right now. Um, so... I, I don't know how old Michelle Trachtenberg would have been at this time. Like most likely she was a couple years older than what she was playing. Cause that's just how it usually goes. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I think they were even, I'm going to give them that benefit of the doubt that, that this is my assumption that they assumed that they were going to cast someone younger and then Michelle Trachtenberg just stole their hearts. So they had to, to hire her and make the character older. At least they didn't try to pass her off as a 10 or 11 year old because she's like taller than Buffy already, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so I'm not sure what else I really have to say about this episode. That's the end of my notes because there weren't many. Um, let's do... Oh, um, and full disclosure, I did not watch Angel at all. <laughs> like, I do still plan to as... A rule continue watching Angel and talk to you guys about it for short periods of time but I did not watch either of the episodes of this of the beginning of season two of Angel because these last two weeks I have not really had the time um, not a good excuse I'd rather in the future like record late if I have to and do the research but it's just not working out right now time-wise anyway so the episode, the angel episode is called, are, are you now, or have you ever been? And the description of the episode, we flash back to 1952. Angel is staying at a hotel inhabited by a paranoia demon that is feeding on the souls of the patrons. So this is the, I believe this is the hotel that they end up buying and it ends up being like where Angel and Wesley both live. And Gun too, maybe? I don't know if they all end up living there. I know Angel does. But it's a major set piece in most of the seasons of Angel. And so this is where that happens, where we first see that hotel. Because um, at the end of season one of Angel, his office got burned down. Um, so in this episode, you see him... It's most, most of the episode is a flashback of him from 1952. So he, at that point in his life, he hadn't like really decided to become good yet. He was the mopiest, broodiest of ever. Like we thought we'd seen him mopey before, but I remember this episode, even though I haven't seen it in a long time, as being like, oh shit, he was way mopier in 1952. 
And it's just kind of a pretty straightforward sort of detective flashback noir episode where you see him. He's dealing with it in the present, but that particular paranoia demon was was there in 1952 when he stayed at this hotel for a short period of time. So they're like dealing with it in the present and it's kind of like, this is part of his like, you know, Angel's sacred atonement journey, you know, because he, that paranoia demon was there and someone was trying to ask for his help back in 1952 and he ignored her and she died, I think. I could be getting a lot of these details incorrect um, since I didn't watch it, but I remember it being a semi-decent episode, semi-decent introduction of, you know, they get rid of that paranoia demon by the end of the episode and then they decide to buy the ho- the hotel. And it's a cool set piece. And that's where most scenes are set in Angel from the future, in the future. Um, so that's the Angel episode analysis. <laughs> As far as ratings for the Buffy episode, object of the episode, I'm going to go with just because this is the introduction of the major set piece of the magic box. I'm going to go with the magic box as a whole, as the object of the episode, because I would love, since I do kind of identify as a witch, I would love to have a cute little magic shop. I mean, let's be honest. I would love to have this exact magic shop from Buffy. I would like to walk in there and buy some witchy supplies from either Giles or Anya. <laughs> and I love the like cute little like aqua beaded curtains. Um yeah, I'm excited to welcome the magic box as a major set piece of Buffy going forward in our hearts. It's where research will be done from now on. Um, It's a good, like, it's a good replacement for, like, all the research being done in the earlier seasons in the library. All the, you know, Giles is going to keep his entire occult library in the magic box from now on. It makes sense. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I love it. I love it. So that's my object of the episode. Outfit of the episode. There weren't really... Hmm. I'm going to give it to Harmony. She really was the only one that, I mean, everybody kind of like had outfits that make sense for their characters, but they, none of them were really that stand out. Like even most of the time when we see Harmony's character, she's got some complicated hairstyle going on. She didn't really have that this time, but her hair did look good. Um, and her makeup did look good, although it wasn't as on point as it usually is her outfit was okay. So she, she probably had a couple different outfits, but the one that I'm thinking of, she had this like, um, this, like, I think it was a sleeveless black sort of crop top. And it had one of those like built-in necklaces into the shirt where it was just sort of like delicate little like gold chains hanging down like a curtain of them sort of hanging down which was really pretty and then her pants had fringe going up the side seams so you didn't necessarily like notice it 
because Buffy is a pretty dark show, lighting-wise, which I love. Other people complain about it, but I love it. Um, not if you watch it on Hulu, though, because they, like, on Hulu, they did, like, this stupid-ass shit where they made it widescreen when Buffy was shot for, for like, TV size. So it was never supposed to be in widescreen. And um, they also, like, bumped up the lighting so it's, like, way overexposed. It really, really annoys me. Like, watch Buffy however you need to watch Buffy. But if you're watching it on Hulu, please know that it's not the beautiful that it was intended to be. I think Buffy's a beautiful show because it's so darkly lit. Um, but anyway, so you can't really tell because Buffy is kind of a darker show, like that she has all that fringe on her pants until she's walking. And so when she's walking, you see that fringe just flying around everywhere and it's so terrible and it's so wonderful and I love it. I also love like, I don't really want Harmony's unicorn collection, but I just, I love a kitschy collection of items that characterize a character. You know, I love that. My favorite thing about like characterization in Buffy, one of my favorite things about the characterization of Buffy is like when you get to see their room and their things and when they actually tell you the story of who they are. So the fact that Harmony loves cheesy ass unicorn statues. <laughs> what did Giles call it? Cheap, tasteless statuary. <laughs> How does he know it's cheap and tasteless? Just because it's twelve ninety five. Oh, I love a cheap, tasteless statuary. That's kind of one of my things. Like, I literally have a unicorn statue in my dining room that I got at a flea market that is terrible, but I love it. I absolutely love it. And it reminds me of Harmony. I actually think of Harmony when I look at it and it makes me happy. <laughs> anyway, um, what the fuck were we talking about? Okay, so she gets outfitted the episode because of her fringe pants and her like fringy necklace shirt situation and her bright red lipstick. Um, and then, okay, I'm doing all this from in my head because I didn't actually write it down. MVP of the episode. Hmm. I mean, we got to give it to Dawn, right? I think we do. I think we do, because she's the main character of this episode. So let's give it to Dawn. Um, slash, honorable mention to Tara, because she is, like, empathizing with Dawn. She's, like, kind of, like, she understands why Dawn feels like an outsider, because she does, too. And, yeah. So, honorable mention to Tara. And then, so I did outfit. I did quote earlier with the statuary quote. Um, so, all that's left is five by five. So, treatment of women and minority characters in this episode. I mean, we do have several women characters talking to each other. It definitely passes the Bechtel test. There's no people of color anywhere to be seen. So, I mean, just as a default, because, like, the only 
minorities, quote unquote, not a literal minority. Women are not a literal minority. I think we're the majority, aren't we? Um, the treatment of women is sometimes okay in Buffy, but the treatment of anyone else, any person of color, any like, like we get like a little bit of lesbian representation in Tara and Willow, but we don't get like any differently abled people like ever on Buffy. We every once in a while we'll get a person of color, but they're usually bit characters that are killed off in one episode. So like this particular rating just never gets to be good. So let's give it a two. Let's give this episode a two um, out of five. And then overall enjoyability of the episode out of five. I mean, it was perfectly fine. It's a good episode of Buffy. It's not one that I think of. It's not one that I think of, period. So let's give it three. So this episode gets a six as the overall five by five score, which means nothing. <laughs> kind of like at the end of Snatch Game when RuPaul's like, and the winner is, who cares? <laughs> um, so yes, rating of the episode, it gets a six, but who cares? Um, thank you guys so much for listening this week. I know I've been like a little scattered the last couple of weeks. I promise I will be back on track next week. I'm excited about next week because I will actually, next week and the week after, I will be off those particular Saturdays. So if I record on the actual Saturday, um, I will, you know, be well rested. I can start anytime I want. Um, I'll have all the time in the world to do the research. And so it will be a less scattered conversation than this one was, hopefully. Let me know your thoughts on any episodes of Buffy, anything that I say, anything that I do. Let me know all of the things that you want to let me know. The way that you can contact me is mixtressradio at gmail. And that's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S, radio spelled the normal way, at gmail. So that information is, of course, always in the show notes, along with my information to, like, all of the other things that I do on the internet. Like, I have, um, you can buy tarot readings for me at my Etsy shop. All of my readings are 40% off right now. So I have like very different, like you can buy a 10 minute reading for normally it's $10, but if it's 40% off, it's like $6 right now for a 10 minute reading. And then you, or you could buy like a 20 to 30 minute reading or a 45 minute to an hour reading. And y'all know I like to talk. So most of my readings go long. <laughs> if you're buying a 10 minute reading, it would not surprise me if it ended up being 12 minutes, you know? Um, but anyway, let me know if you want a tarot reading. Buy one for me over on my Etsy shop. Or if you're not interested in that, but you want to hear me talk about personal shit going on in my life, I have my weekly radio show. Or you can become a patron at patreon.com slash mixtressray. Mixtress, again, is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S. Ray is spelled R-A-E. So, it's my middle name. With that said, I am going to go now. Yes, never said that before. I'm just going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off here. Okay, uh, see you later. Okay. <laughs>
We'll be back next week to talk about the Buffy episode, The Replacement. Um, is that the one with the two Xanders? I think it is. Let me just look it up since I have the episode guide right here. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm kind of dreading it, honestly. But okay. Next week, we're going to talk about the replacement and the Angel episode called First Impressions, I think. Um, I will see you then. Bye!